Lord, I commit the word to you this morning. May it break bondages, I pray. May it set your people free. Holy Spirit, would you sweep through this building? Would you bring revelation of the Father's love this morning, I pray. God, may we have a face-to-face encounter with you this morning. Divide the words across this building, I pray, God, that it would penetrate hearts, it would change lives, I pray. Holy Spirit, would you speak through me? We welcome you. We say our hearts, God, are ready to receive your word this morning. Our hearts are ready. We want to be vessels in your hand, useful to the master. Do your work, Holy Spirit, I pray. More of you, Jesus, in this house. More of you, Jesus, in this house. We exalt your name. We lift you on high. Feel his presence here this morning. Day 21. Is this mark okay? Is it okay? Day 21. We've made a church. I believe that we've shifted things in the heavens. God has moved in our midst. Many say that the attack has been great. The enemy is threatened by our obedience. He's threatened by your sacrifice and your hunger for God. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you've trusted God for a breakthrough and you haven't seen it yet, lift up your eyes. Help is on the way. God has seen all that we've poured out before him in this time. And I believe that it's gone up as a fragrance before him. 
there's been an establishment or something significant at Frontline Church and you've been part of it and I want to thank you. For myself, it has brought such an increased awareness and sensitivity to God. I almost don't want this fast to end. And my prayer is that as the fast comes to an end, a hunger for God will continue to increase. It doesn't end now, church. We continue to press in. Amen. You can turn with me this morning to 1 Samuel chapter 1. I'm shaking you this morning. One Samuel chapter one. I'm going to read from verse eight to fifteen. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child. I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor will come upon his head. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth. Now Hannah spoke in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she was drunk. He said to her, How long will you be drunk? Put away your wine. Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. And church, just some background on this passage of scripture is Elkanah has two wives, Penina and Hannah. And Hannah is barren. Penina provokes Hannah and harasses her in her barrenness. And in those times, a barren woman brought much shame and humiliation on a woman. And we see from Scripture that Alkana says, the husband says to Hannah, Hannah, am I not better than ten sons? The poor man is trying to make his wife feel better. And church, the reality is, is in each one of us, there is a place that only God can satisfy. And oftentimes what we try and do is we try and look to things of the world to satisfy that longing and that hunger. And Hannah understands this. She recognizes that there's a need in her that only God can satisfy. And my question to us this morning, church, is are we seeking things 
or are we seeking God? Because if we're seeking things, there's a risk of us missing Him. But when we seek Him, the other things will come. And Alcana is trying to convince her that I'm enough. The world will try and convince us that this is enough. But church, we will never be satisfied. I recognize in this fast my, my hunger and my dependency on God. The minute we strip away the things of the world, the desires of the world, our, our passion for God increases, our dependence on Him starts to increase. And we see in Scripture, Hannah goes up to the tabernacle. What's important to note is that this was not a requirement for women in those days. Only the man had to go up and present a sacrifice. But every year, Hannah goes up to the tabernacle. And she recognizes that her sacrifice gives her access to the presence of God. You see, the tabernacle in those days was the dwelling place, the presence of God, Yahweh. We, they didn't have Holy Spirit, so the presence of God was not everywhere like we have the privilege today. But in those times, it was in the tabernacle. And Hannah recognized that her sacrifice brought her into access for the presence of God. And so her sacrifice was not out of obligation. It was not out of requirement. For her, it was this deep desire to be in the presence of God. We know that wherever there's sacrifice, in Old Testament, there was fire. There was the power of God. There was the glory of God. And Hannah presents her sacrifice before God. Scripture doesn't tell us what the sacrifice was. It just tells us that she brought a sacrifice. You see, the significance is not on what I am sacrificing. The question is, is my life the sacrifice? Is my life the sacrifice? Romans 12.1 from the Amplified Version says, Present your bodies, dedicating all of yourselves, set apart as a living sacrifice, holy and well-pleasing to God, which is your act of worship. The question is, is our lives the sacrifice? You see, if we're on a journey to intimacy, which is what we believe God has been speaking to us as a church, we have to give ourselves completely to Him, holding nothing back. It's saying, God, everything I am, everything I have is yours. And oftentimes, church, we think when we talk about sacrifice, we're thinking, what is God going to require of me? You know, is it going to cost a lot? And we, we almost draw a picture of a God who wants to just remove all the good stuff from our life. Isn't it? Sometimes we get caught up in that thinking of what is God going to require of me? But church, I've, I've just realized in this last season that we've been going through I don't want anything. I just want Him. 
If there is anything that hinders me from the presence of God, my cry is, God, take it. God, take it. I don't want it. And it's not so much about what he's asking us to give up, more than a posture of saying, God, you are what I'm seeking after. And whatever that means, I'm willing. I'm willing. The mother of Jesus gives probably the best advice in the word. The wedding of Cana, she says to his servants, whatever he says, do it. It's a command to us, whatever he says, do it. The problem is, I believe now, in the body of Christ, there is spiritual adultery taking place. We say that he's the lover of my soul. I tell him that he's my savior, that I love him. But I'm holding firmly onto the love of the world. And there's adultery taking place in our spiritual walk. There's a compromise going on in our walk with God. Matthew 16, 24 says this. Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone, if frontline church wishes to follow me, they need to deny themselves, to set aside selfish interests and to take up their cross. The cross is expressing a willingness to endure whatever may come and to follow me. Believing in me, conforming to my example in living, and if need be, suffering or perhaps dying because of faith in me. What an ask. But when the presence of God is what we want, when Jesus is what we want, even if I lose my life, I gain heaven. Even if. But what am I hungering for? What am I pursuing? And I believe as I was preparing this message, God gave me an image of a clenched fist. And he's saying there's many who are doing life like this. We're holding on to everything else but him. We're crying out to him, but we're holding on to everything else but him. And it's an issue of surrender, isn't it? It's an issue of surrender. Saying, God, I, I choose to open my hand and give you whatever you ask. To give you my life, I choose to have an open hand. And I sense this morning there are some who struggle with surrender. I think if I had to be honest, most of us, me included. But when we're so convinced that God is love and he's motivated by love, we can trust him. I want to ask this morning if there's people who struggle with surrender. You say, you know what, that's me. I'm, I'm holding on to things. I'm trying to trust God, but this is difficult. 
and I'm holding with a clenched fist, I'm going to ask you to stand this morning. I don't want to go further this morning until the Holy Spirit ministers in this area. Can you lift your hands? Can you open your hands wide as a sign of surrender? Lord, I pray that your anointing will break the yoke. I ask for your anointing now in Jesus' name. Your anointing, God, would break the yoke. Give your children a revelation of your love. That they may trust you in response. Even now, God, as I, as I pray, I ask that you would give them a picture, a revelation, God, of your love. Your love. And possibly we're scared to let go because of disappointments and, and things that didn't work out the way we planned. But I want you to surrender that this morning to God and say, God, in your infinite love for me, I trust you. I trust you, God. That God, we would break the need to contend and strive and resist and withhold. And I ask God that you set your people free this morning. Holy Spirit, would you bring and usher in an anointing that will break the yoke and cause us to come to a place of surrender. God, that we would be so convinced that your way is a better way. Your way is the better way. We choose to trust you this morning, God. Let your anointing flow, I pray, God. Minister, minister, I pray to hearts, Lord. May they surrender to you. Surrender to you, God. We trust you this morning. Holy Spirit, do your work in the hearts of those standing this morning. Arms lifted up as a sign of surrender. We surrender to you. Your way is the better way. We pursue you, Jesus, more than anything else. We trust you that you are enough. You are enough. Set us free. In Jesus' name, amen. So church, Hannah goes into the tabernacle and we see this heart that, that Hannah has. It's vulnerable, it's honest, and it's completely exposed. The scripture says she comes in with bitterness and weeps with anguish. A couple of weeks ago, I was, we were trusting God for something and, and things didn't quite work out the way we planned and I waited for the family to go to bed and I got alone with God and I said, God, like there's some disappointment here, but, but, but. And I started to pray a prayer that I thought God would want to hear. 
in fact, what he deserves to hear. But I started to pray this prayer and, and in my heart there was the struggle going on because I didn't feel quite what I was saying. There was this the struggle taking place. And I felt the Lord gently say to me, tell me how you really feel. And I kept on praying. Because in my mind, I thought, well, if I say how I really feel, there's a chance I'm going to disappoint the Father. I was angry. And again, he said to me, tell me how you really feel. And I started to pour my heart out to God. And I wept before the Lord. And I, and I realized at that point, he, he says to me, now we can start to talk. Because this is relationship. You see, relationship, we don't keep secrets. Otherwise, there's no trust. And I felt the Lord say, drop the religion. Drop the religion. Let's get real now. Because religion will always kill relationship. And in order for us to foster relationship with the Father, we have to eradicate religion. Where we just get real. Come as you are. And many people come to church thinking, I've got to have it all together. You know, I can't come here or be expressive in my worship because this is happening and that's happening. And, and we think we've got to get our act on the road. Church, the only way we get our act on the road is when we have a revelation of God's love and it causes a transformation in our hearts. It's not by works. It's a revelation of who He is and who He says I am. And relationship is literally putting your heart on the line. I, I was chatting to my daughter, Courtney, a couple of months back, and I said to her, when it comes to relationships and friendships, there's always a risk your heart is going to be hurt, isn't it? But to fully love, we've got to fully give. So there's a risk. But the reality is, is we're not serving a God whose intention is to break your heart and to wound you and leave you broken. His intention is, though, to deal with issues of the heart, which at times is painful. Psalm 139, listen to what David says. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The reality is, church, is this scripture. David's not saying, God, search me so that you can find out stuff about me that you didn't know. That's not what the searching is about. The searching is that he may find out stuff about his heart that he didn't know. God already knows us. He knows our thoughts are far off. Gospels are full of telling us that he perceived the thoughts of the people. He knew the reasoning in their hearts. The searching is about us discovering stuff in our hearts that God wants to deal with. Because these things cause a hindrance and a blockage in my relationship with Him. And it means us saying, my heart is exposed. God, I give it to you. Search it. Show me. Deal. Deal this issue. And so God is calling us to a life of sacrifice and vulnerability in order for us to pursue intimacy. I want you to look at verse 11. It says, Will you look on the affliction of your maidservant? 
We see in the scripture, she repeats maidservant three times. And the repetition of this would show us her humility and her dependence on God. Church, if we want intimacy, we need to depend on Him. We need to trust Him. We need to be humble before Him and recognize it's not by our works. It's by His love that woos us in to relationship with Him. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, As we behold the Lord, we will be transformed into His image. We all know that scripture really well. That word behold means to fix your gaze on, to look intently at, not a passing glance, not just a quick look over. It's to fix your gaze on. And the scripture tells us that as we fix our gaze on him, we take on what he has for us, right? We understand that we transformed into his image. We take on what he has. But now look what Hannah says in the scripture. She says, will you look at my affliction? What is she saying? Will you look at this thing? Will you fix your gaze on it? And as he does, he takes on what we have. There's a transference that takes place in the presence of God. There's a divine exchange that takes place in the presence of God. As I fix my gaze on him, I take on what he has for me. And as he fixes his gaze on me, he takes on what I have. And there's a divine exchange that starts to take place. The problem is, though, church, is oftentimes we come into his presence, we come to church, we worship, we pray, and we ask him to look at our affliction. And that's his desire. But we don't shift our gaze from our affliction to him. We continue to fix our gaze on our affliction and we continue to take it on and take it on. And we wonder why we leave his presence and we feel exactly the same. Because a divine exchange hasn't taken place. Because intimacy looks like me looking at my husband's eyes and him looking in mine. Now there's relationship. Now there's intimacy between the two of us. God expects the same thing from us. He says, look at me. And let there be a divine exchange that takes place. Hannah says, if you give me a son, I will give him back to you. Again, it confirms a life of sacrifice. She doesn't just bring a sacrifice to twist God's arm and give her her breakthrough. She brings a sacrifice before the breakthrough, and then she brings the breakthrough as her sacrifice. I wonder, church, how many of us come before God and say, God, I, I draw close to you. I'll do whatever you ask if you just let this thing happen. God, I'll, you know, whatever you ask. And the minute that takes place, life continues as normal. And there's not this continual life of sacrifice that we bring before God. We draw close when we need something and then we become distant. And it made me think about a husband and wife relationship you know, if a husband had to only woo his wife when he wants intimacy, he only shows affection 
brings flowers, you know, tells her she looks beautiful when he's wanting something from her, that church is not intimacy, that's manipulation. And I wonder what our walk with God looks like. Is there manipulation? Is there, God, I'll draw close now because I need something. But the rest of the time, I'm distant, I'm disconnected, I'm far from him. I don't listen to his voice. And then I run back into his presence the next time. And God's calling us to a life of continual sacrifice, that the breakthrough becomes our sacrifice to him. Hannah says, I'm going to give my child back to you. Now, moms, just I want you to give this thought. The next chapter tells us that she weans Samuel and she takes him to the temple. That's approximately the age of three. And she only gets to see her son once a year when she takes him up a new robe. So visualize this. This woman is crying out to God to give her a child. And she takes him at the age of three. She doesn't get to raise him. She doesn't get to nurture him. She doesn't get to do the things moms love to do. So why was there such a desperate cry? And it made me wonder, could it have been that there was a cry for more? Is there a cry for more in each of us this morning? Is there a hunger in our hearts for more? You see, church, conception cannot take place apart from intimacy. Correct? Right? Conception takes place before, with, with, uh, cannot take place without intimacy. And conception will always result in a birthing of something. Think about a baby being conceived. There's a birthing of something. In the spirit, nothing can be birthed or conceived without intimacy with God. And I looked at the meaning of conception. Now, obviously, we have the image of conceiving of a child. But there's a second meaning. And it says the forming of an idea or a plan. The synonyms for conception is thoughts, plans, ideas, dreams, explanation, interpretation, design. And church, as I started to see this, I felt the Lord say that as we start to go into intimacy with Him, the church will have a conception of something new. That there will be a conception of creativity that will return to the church. That the church becomes the place where the plans and the ideas and the solutions start to come that will impact lives, that will impact your family, your businesses, our communities, that will start to bring solutions to the issue of abortion, to the issue of homelessness, of unemployment, of poverty, of AIDS. And suddenly the creativity comes back to the church. Conception that will birth a transformation that will impact cities and nations. But it starts with intimacy because nothing can be conceived or birthed apart from intimacy. Hannah gives birth to a son and his name is Samuel and Samuel becomes a prophet to the nations. 
from a young age, Samuel's response is, speak, Lord, I'm listening. Is that our response? Speak, Lord, I'm listening. God is a communicator. He's shown us throughout Scripture that He wants to talk. It said He spoke the Word and creation came into being. Moses, he spoke in the thunder and lightning of Mount Sinai, Elijah in a whisper in a cave. John the Baptist in, in the Revelation, it says that he spoke in many, as, as many waters. God desires to speak to us. He's a communicator. The question is, are we listening? Do we have an expectation for God to speak? And sometimes it's correction. Sometimes I need to sit with my girls and talk to them about their behavior, their, their attitude, the condition of their heart, their mindsets. And it causes a bit of discomfort, but they know that it's motivated by love. They know that it's motivated by love. And so they receive it and it starts to bring about a transformation in their behavior when they're able to receive what I say to them. The same goes with us. Hebrews 12, 8 says, If you are not corrected, then you are not legitimate and true sons and daughters. Correction is validation of sonship. And so sometimes even Isaiah says that the Lord spoke to him with a strong hand, meaning the pressures of his circumstances was the way God spoke. Listen, church, God is going to find a way to speak to you. Best you listen that we tune our ears to hear what God is wanting to say. And many people will say to me, God doesn't speak to me. I don't hear him speak. He never speaks to me. Let me tell you something. You've clearly never opened up his love letter to you. This is God's love letter to you and to me. And it is filled with his thoughts towards you. God is speaking. The question is, are we listening? And Samuel has this life of intimacy with God, almost like a romance. God speaks, he speaks, they talk to each other, they walk together. There's this romance that takes place between them because of his willingness to say, yes, Lord, speak, I'm listening. And in the beginning of chapter 3 of 1 Samuel, it says this, that the, the word of the Lord was rare and no revelation was in Shiloh. Shiloh had become a place of so much sin it had blocked revelation. There was such moral decay in Shiloh at that point that the word of God was rare and there was no revelation of God. But listen to what it says at the end of chapter 3. It says, The Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh by his word. What is your Shiloh this morning? Your family, your workplace, your finances, where it feels like the Word of God is rare and there is no revelation of God in this area. Are we able to be like Samuel that says, Speak, Lord, I'm listening? And that the word of the Lord that he gives to you brings about a revelation that will cause the presence of God, the power of God, the glory of God to return to your Shiloh. 
Because God spoke to Samuel in Shiloh. He didn't remove him from his circumstances. Oftentimes we say, God, will you just remove this thing from me? Will you just set me you know, aside from this tra- challenge that I'm going through? But in Shiloh, God starts to speak to Samuel and he starts to reveal himself to Samuel and it impacts an entire nation. Because church, when we get a revelation of God, transformation has to take place. We cannot stay the same. Our situations cannot stay the same. And Ephesians 1.17 says that the Lord will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. That we may really know Him. That we would really know Him. The last part of the scripture that I want to share is, Eli the priest is watching and he says to Hannah, why are you drunk? Church religion will always question relationship. Religion will always question relationship. Are we ready to be fools for God? Like so what? What people think. My prayer always is God that it's an audience of one. That I please him. But even if he asked us to do something crazy, our answer is, yes, Lord, I'm listening. Speak, God, I'm listening. But listen how Hannah responds to the priest. She says, I have drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but, but, I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Church, have we poured out our lives before the Lord have we said God my hands are open whatever you ask I'll do speak Lord I'm listening my ears are attentive I have an expectation for you to speak that we come in vulnerable as we are And we pour out our lives before God because the measure to which we pour ourselves out is the measure to which He will fill us. How hungry are we? When we start to pour out our lives before God, we will experience intimacy. We will hear Him speak. He will give us revelation. And we will really know Him. Can I ask the worship team to come up, please? That night that I sat before the Lord and I, and I cried out to Him, after I kind of threw a, not a tantrum, but <laughs> He said I must tell Him what I'm feeling, so I told Him what I was feeling. And I paused for a moment and I said, God, I'm not leaving your presence like this. I refuse. I have to have a word from you. Because church, I realize that one life-giving word from the lover of my soul will change everything. And so I waited in his presence and the Lord led me to Psalm 91. Like I say, this is his love letter to you. If you feel God's not speaking, devour this thing. Devour the word of God. He'll speak. 
And so I said, Lord, I, I need to hear. So I go to Psalm 91. I memorized Psalm 91 as a child. And the Lord just started to minister to me. He who dwells in the secret place. And church, this is the reality, is anyone could have come to me and given me Psalm 91 to read as an encouragement, and it would have been special. But it's different when God speaks. It's different when He gives you a word in that moment. And it brings about a transformation. And He started to minister to me about the secret place. And that word secret is, in Hebrew, talks about us sitting on a couch with people, with someone, speaking confidentially. And He wants to share His secrets with you. And He wants you to share your secrets with Him. And suddenly in that moment, there's this transformation that takes place. There's this divine exchange that takes place as God speaks His word to me. And I receive it in that moment. And I get up. And I acknowledge him in the midst of what I'm going through. And a peace comes over me. Church, are we hungering for that kind of revelation? Do we spend time in the word of God where he speaks to us and he challenges us and he changes us? Are we willing to hear what he has to say? Don't wait for a Sunday morning to come and get a word from God. You hunger for it. Grab a hold of the smallest verse. You don't need a theology doctor to understand. You just need a heart that is poured out before God that says, God, speak. Samuel's intimacy was a result that came from a cry of a mother. It starts with a cry. And we see that Samuel walks a life of intimacy with God that brings about a revelation to a, a whole nation. Can we stand this morning? If this morning you feel like, yes, God, that's the life I want. I want to be this person who is vulnerable in your presence. Who has a hand that is open to you, that is clenched onto nothing but you, that you become enough for me. That you are what I desire. God, I hunger for your, your word in my life. I have a desire for revelation, God. Speak into my shallow. If that's you this morning, just lift your hand. And so, God, I ask this morning as you see hands raised that you will woo us in, Lord, to intimacy with you. God, that you would bring us into a place of revelation of who you are that will transform our lives, that we will never be the same, God. Lord, we surrender all to you this morning. We surrender our lives. We pour out our lives before you, God, and we say, speak, Lord. Your servant is waiting to hear. May our ears, God, be tuned to your voice. Lord, I'm asking this morning over this body, would you stir a passion and a love for your word, God, I pray. May we have a hunger for the word of God more than what we eat and drink. God, I'm asking that we would only be satisfied as we open the word of God and we devour this word. Lord, I'm asking that you would ignite this desire this morning in the hearts of your people. Cause a hunger for your word, God. A hunger for your presence. 
hunger for relationship, for intimacy. God, I'm even asking in this week, as these people whose hands are raised, as they open the Word of God, I pray, Father, that you would speak to them so clearly. Lord, I'm asking that their eyes will see things in Scripture that they've never seen. Enlighten the eyes of our heart, God, I pray. Open up the eyes of our understanding that as we read your word, God, we would receive a fresh revelation. Even scriptures that we've memorized as children. God, I'm asking as we open the word of God, there would be a new love, a a fresh revelation, God, a passion. Lord, I'm asking today that this body of believers will not be satisfied. We will not be content. We will hunger for more and more. God burns something on the inside. Even after this 21-day fast, God, as we stripped ourselves of the things of this world, I'm asking, God, that you would stir and ignite a passion in our hearts that, Jesus, you become our goal. You become our desire. You become our passion. You become enough. If everything else was lost, Jesus, would we be satisfied with just you? And God, I'm asking, you would stir us and lead us to a place where Jesus, you are enough. We surrender to you this morning, God. We hold nothing back. Nothing back, God. We hunger for you. Do a work in our hearts, God, I pray. Even now, Holy Spirit, would you stir something in the hearts of your sons and your daughters. In the name of Jesus, I pray. In the name of Jesus, I pray.